The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Happy New Year. It's time to turn the page. It is now 2020. I made my first mistake with that date. I was signing someone's paperwork for health insurance, and I signed the date 19. And I'm like, okay, there's my first one. It's 2020. It's a good time to be alive, a good time to serve the Lord, an exciting new year. And uh, as we look at what we're looking at today, let's remember where we were last week. We're picking up in 1 Corinthians. We're all, all the way up to chapter 10 now. But if you remember last week, what we saw was a great text where Paul challenges us. He said, look... If you're going to run the race, don't just be an also ran, right? You know, the, the report of everybody who ran the race and also ran Tracy Graham. He was last place, did absolutely nothing, but we're going to put his name in there because he tried. We don't want to be an also ran in the Christian life. Paul used an analogy of running the race. He said, be in it to win it. And it was a great text for the new year to say, let's, if we're going to make New Year's resolutions, let's make them based on uh, what Paul is challenging us, to be in the Christian life, to win it. Not just to run, not to get a participation award, but to win the prize. And we were challenged to say that that means we should remain focused on what the prize is, and that is to the glory of God, that we might win some to the Lord, there's a bigger aspect to the Christian life than that, but Paul in particular was talking about that last week where he said, listen, my passion in life is to see that others are one to Christ. And so we're going to try to remember all year, I'm putting notes in my calendar to, to keep sprinkling this throughout the year. Who is your one? Who is one person that you are praying for and asking God to, to give you the opportunity to share the gospel with them, to invite them to church, to, to maybe ask them to join a Bible study, or whatever that is, maybe just to become friends. Whatever that step is, if you're going to make a goal for the year, let there be one person that God says, would you just, that you say to God, would you allow me the great privilege of seeing one person come to know Christ and, and to share in that blessing? I can't control the results, but I can control my behavior, and that's going to require self-discipline and self-control. This all came from last week's text that, that Paul says you've got to discipline yourself for the purpose of the, winning the prize, very positive steps to take, and you've got to have self-control so that you're not disqualified from the race. And so I pray that we, we do those things, self-control being the things that we need to say no to, and self-discipline things that we need to say yes to in order to run the race so as to win the prize. And so the positive side of Paul's challenge to us last week was, was emphasized last week. This week, we're going to spend a little, mid, a, a little time on the negative side of his challenge that we didn't really have time to discuss last week. He said, do not, you know, show, he said, have discipline so that you are not disqualified from the race. And that's really where he goes in our text today, kind of going to the negative side of thing as so as not to be disqualified. The negative aspect of not finishing the race, not receiving the prize, not remaining focused and self-disciplined that to find at the end of the course, you didn't finish the race. And in the scriptures, there's this strain that Paul is always living in. And I think it's a lot like any time I'm teaching to a group, I don't know where each individual person is. I can't specifically see the heart. Only God can. And so there's this challenge of saying assurance that God never lets go of his own. 
But then there's a side of how do I know if you are one of his except by the continued every day that you continue to walk with Jesus and the fruit of the spirit of Jesus is showing in your life, then there's greater certainty. But as that fruit is not evident, there is very great concern that one should have about their own selves that I'm not sure I'm going to finish the race or win the prize when I get to the end of this course. And so today we're going to ask the Lord to to search our hearts this morning and reveal to us, based on what we're seeing in Paul, a challenge. Am I Am I in the race? Am I going to finish the course? Am I going to win the the imperishable wreath of salvation? Lord, would you search our hearts this morning and challenge us uh, with these words from Paul that you, you had him, you inspired him to write these words and preserve them in your sacred writings and the scriptures for us and for our benefit, for our good as a church. So Lord, help us to truly understand if we are truly united with Christ as seen, much of that as seen as being truly united with your people by faith. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So as we've seen all throughout Corinthians, Paul is addressing problem after problem after problem. So a lot of times the outline is very similar, the problem. That's the first point of today. We're going to look at the problem that Paul is addressing, uh, and we're going to look at how he addresses it, which is through the example of Israel and then he's gonna, we're going to culminate with this challenge that Paul issues. Uh, we talked about the problem. The problem that we're going to see is the same problem we talked about uh, several weeks ago, or actually probably a month ago in chapter 8. But I'm going to pull verses 15 through 22, which is the end of our text. We're looking at chapter 10. I'm going to start at the bottom of chapter 10 and pull it up to the top, because I think it makes a little more sense to just say, okay, well, here's the problem he's addressing, and then we're going to work through beginning in, chapter, in verse 1 how he addresses it. So let's look at what is the problem that Paul is addressing, begin in chapter 10, verse 15. He says, I speak as to sensible people. These guys have written him a letter and they seem to be pretty full of themselves. Like, look, Paul, we're sensible people. He says, listen, you sensible people, I'm writing to you as sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Verse 16, here's what he says. The cup of blessing that we bless, this is the Lord's Supper cup, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. So there's this many individuals coming in, partaking of the one bread that is broken and dispensed to the members. His point is, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifice, the sacrifices, are they not participants in the altar. So he's going back Old Testament and saying, think about Israel. When they participated in the sacrifices of the meat that was offered on the altars to God, when they ate of that, were they not participating in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? 
or that an idol is anything. No, I'm not implying that, the pagan sacrifices that... No, I'm implying what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons, not to God. They offer to demons. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't do that. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we really stronger than God? The obvious answer is no, no, we wouldn't want to do that. So what in the world is going on? This brings up what we saw in chapter 8, this idea of in Corinth, all the social events of the day happened at the temple to the false gods, the idol temples. Uh, It was like as common as it is to us to go to a restaurant. We went out to eat last night as a family. It was that common. I read to you a few weeks ago when we looked at chapter 8, an invitation that was an actual invitation that has been found to the birthday party of the first birthday of one of their children. Where was it? It was at the temple of the gods. And the god was named. And they got into this, this, this problem in the church of, is it okay to go to the temples and, and feast at the table of the false god? Or is it not okay? Am I free to do that or am I not free to do that? And at that time, Paul addressed from the concern of the weaker brother, the one who says, I, I, I know you're telling me that the gods aren't real, but I'm just not comfortable go into that place because I grew up in that place and for me, that's a very worshipful experience of worshiping that God that I've repented from, that I don't believe in anymore. I just don't feel comfortable going into that place and so I just don't feel like it's good for me. It feels like sin. And the point of that text in chapter 8 was for someone who is comfortable with that, don't you dare push that brother or sister into doing that telling them they're free in Christ. That is sin if you do that, he said. Now today, he's bringing this subject back up up with a different emphasis. His emphasis today is on what I'm just going to simply say, community. But I don't think we grasp the depth and the breadth and the seriousness and the gravity of community. Paul is, is saying to these Christians, he's using the concept of the Lord's Supper experience in the church to to help them understand why they do not need to be going into those temples and doing that anymore. And the heart of it is that there is a powerful spiritual experience of community when we gather together to partake of the Lord's Supper. That when you and I enter into this room, and we experience this at Christmas time, We had the Lord's Supper, and it was a beautiful service on our Christmas service morning. And we shared the Lord's Supper, and we wept together because it's just a powerful reminder of our joint participation with Christ. That each one of us individually, when you partake of that piece of bread or that stale wafer, right? When you, when you partake of that, it's not about that, it's about Jesus. It's about you individually 
If you are putting your faith in Christ, what does that mean? You're putting faith that God accepts the body of Jesus Christ as the necessary sacrifice for your sins. And that apart from that sacrifice, you have no hope for salvation and reconciliation with God. And so when you come in as an individual, you're locking arms with other individuals saying, my sole hope for my soul is the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. And when you get that, that's a powerful experience. And the cup, that my sole hope is that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, the scripture says, but Jesus shed his blood for me that I might have forgiveness of sins. And so I am reminded of my union with Christ through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. But there's another aspect there. The spirit of God lives within me. The spirit of God lives within any other individual whose sole hope is Christ. How many spirits of God are there? One. How many Jesuses are there? One. How many gods are there? One. And so just like there is one loaf and one cup that is dispensed among the body, we individually become one by our common faith and our common experience in the salvation that God has provided for us through Jesus Christ. So it's not just like, hey man, we all went on a good trip together and we're all united, we're bonded by that memory. It's that, but it's not just that. It's much more than that. There's a common experience, a common tradition, a common belief, a common uh, trust and, and that unites us. But there's also a spiritual oneness that there is one God with whom we have union. And if you have union with him and I have union with him, then we have union together. We are one body. There's a solidarity of the body that we have in Christ. And that's Paul's emphasis here. And he says, by that bread and by that cup, you are participating in Christ. It is an act of worship, an act of faith and submission and remembering and worshiping the, the salvation that you've experienced in Christ that unites us together as one body. And then he goes back to the, to the Israel and he says the same thing. He says it's very similar to Israel when, when God gave Israel the sacrificial system that made them able to meet with God, a holy God in their presence. It was only because they had the blood of a sacrificial animal which God provided as a means to have fellowship with them. And so their communion, their community, their body life, their experience as the people of Israel was centered on their common faith and trust in God's acceptance of his provision of a sacrifice. He says, so when they ate of that sacrifice, were they not participating in God when they did that? And so his point is, when you gather together at a worship feast, it's not just eating bread and drinking wine. There is a powerful worship experience that's going on in this place. And he says, and the same is true when you go to those temples. Y'all following the logic? Have I put y'all to sleep this Sunday morning? All right. So that's where Paul's going. He's going, this is a powerful union of the body of People who believe in a common faith in one God, Jesus Christ. He says, when you go up into those temples 
and you have worship feast with them, how dare you do that? You cannot drink the cup of Jesus and the cup of demons together. And they would say, whoa, Paul, you are too crazy and radical about everything. I'm not drinking cups to demons. He's saying, there's only two choices, God and Satan. And if it's not of God, it's of Satan. That's what he's doing here. Very black and white. Let me cut through the chase for you. You are drinking of the cup of demons, Paul says, when you go to these places because they are not celebrating their oneness in Christ. So this is the idea of the community, the communion, the koinonia, the fellowship, the the bond servants, the bond where we get that idea, the bond that comes together because of our bond servants of Christ that we share. That is what unites us and we can't be united with any other false gods. And that means we cannot have horizontal union with other people who are not united with Christ. So he's saying you can't go have communion or community and fellowship at that kind of level with unbelievers. And he says that's what's happening at those feasts. There is something inherent in the nature of the Christian's Lord's Supper that makes participation in these pagan suppers absolutely a problem. And Paul says that's the problem. He says it's a big problem. Clearly the root of the problem is their pride and arrogant mentality. He he says, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? They seem to have this arrogant, like, I'm strong enough. I can go immerse myself into their ungodly pagan culture and I'm going to be all right. He says, oh, no, 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 no. Don't you dare do that. You have been immersed into a new community. We see this in Acts when they repent, they were convicted at the proclamation of the gospel. They say, what, what shall we do? He says, repent and be baptized from your old community to your new community. That's a part of being born again as you leave your old community of faith in other things and other false gods. And you are immersed. We symbolize this with baptism. We are immersed into a new community of faith in the one God through Jesus Christ. That needs to happen with every person who says they are in Christ. And we don't need to go back. And we can't put one foot in each of the old community and the new community. Paul says, no, there is a new allegiance, a new community, a new family, a new people, a new identity, a new way of life. And it needs to happen. And where he's going to go is if it's not happening, you better be very afraid. So we need to understand we come to faith in Christ When we are joined together in union with Jesus, we are joined together in union with others who are in Jesus, and they become our family. And not only are that, but we want every single person to understand that if you are one with Christ, you have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God unites with the Spirit of God in me, unites with the Spirit of God in you, and we become one. This needs to happen with every single person who says with their mouth, Jesus is Lord that alongside that needs to come a complete immersion into a new community of faith. I pray you'll not stay on the fringes of church. I pray you'll not let anything hinder you from truly uniting with the body of Christ. 
If not this church, then find a church that you can say, I'm going to be in it to win it. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to lock arms with these brothers and sisters. Christ. These are my friends and these are my family members, maybe more family than some blood relatives who aren't in Christ. They're more your brothers and sisters than your biological family if they're not in Christ. Don't stay on the fringes. Every believer needs to replace their worldly community with a deep spiritual community found only in Christ. It takes discipline. It takes self-denial. It takes commitment. It takes not being sold out to any other God to make church a priority in your life. To make not you, have you heard anything about legalism, about rules, about you should because it'll make you right with God? No, but those who are right with God by faith are given the Spirit, and the Spirit yearns the others with Spirit, with the Spirit of God. And this is what should take place. This is the normative. This is, there's no concept in the Bible of a believer who comes to Christ and isn't plugged into the body of Christ. That's not even a concept in the church. That's an abnormality. That's the anomaly. It's the normative experience to be connected with the body of Christ, with a deep spiritual communion that can only be found in Christ. So Paul is saying today, if your community, if your communion is with unbelievers, that's a problem. So how does Paul address this problem? Paul uses Israel as an example. He's going to warn us with what he sees in his Old Testament of Israel. This brings us back to the beginning of chapter 10, verse 1. Look at verse 1 through 11. We've seen the problem. Now we're going to see the example of Israel. In these verses, Paul refers to the stories that we read in our Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And all the stories are about when God delivered Israel out of slavery to Egypt, Israel being the people of Abraham, who God said, Abraham, who was barren, and his wife were barren, and they couldn't have kids. God said, you're going to have thousands, you're going to have a nation of children, and they're going to become a nation, and then they find themselves enslaved in Egypt, and then God miraculously goes in and delivers them and does miracle after miracle after miracle to deliver them out of Egypt and to the promised land, and this massive journey goes on, and we learn all kinds of lessons about humanity through watching Israel, and here's what he says in verse 1, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. Our fathers were all under the cloud, that means God's presence was with them at night. It looked like a fire. In the daytime, it just looked like a cloud of smoke. And it was the presence of God. And they all passed through the sea. And all were baptized. He's going to use, Paul's going to use New Testament language to show the parallel between the members of Israel in the Old Testament with the members of the church in the New Testament. So he uses this language intentionally, reading back, looking at the stories, using New Testament church language. He says they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized, immersed is what baptized me. They're all immersed into Moses in this community of Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food like the Lord's Supper, and they all drank of the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed. The rock was Jesus Christ. And so he's reading back the stories of Old Testament 
where if you know these stories, you're going, wait, yeah, I, know, I remember these stories. They crossed the Red Sea. God parted the sea. They came through, and they got the law of Moses. And on the journey, God provided food. And Nehemiah 9 says it was the Spirit of God who provided the food through manna and dove and quail. And it also God provided water from a rock. And it was a spiritual provision of God for water. And he's taken all that and saying, let me make this analogous to the church in Christ, the Spirit of God in the Lord's Supper and baptism. And he's saying that they were immersed into their community of faith as a result of their faith in God and His provision and this common salvation experience. They became a community. And then here's the warning. Here's the example. Here's the thing to learn. If you've fallen asleep so far, this is the time to wake up. Here's the point. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. What? Wait, what? So they were living in community with God's people, partaking of these experiences? They, they, they saw all that. They participated in all that. They were eating of the spiritual food and the spiritual water of God's provision. And yet they were destroyed. They didn't finish the race. They didn't win the prize. They weren't believers. They weren't saved. They were judged. Whoa, wait a minute. You mean not all of Israel is Israel? That's what Paul says in Romans 11, Romans 9. What he's saying is not everyone who's here today who came to the Lord's Supper service and ate the bread and drank the the juice and proclaimed salvation. In fact, he said about Israel, most of them, most of them, God was not pleased with. And they were overthrown in the wilderness. That whole generation passed away and didn't get to go to the promised land. They didn't get to inherit the wreath should scare us. I don't like to, to, to say this often. I don't like to preach these things. I know people gingerly struggle with assurance of salvation, and, but sometimes we need to stop and go. I can't just ignore the fact that there are people who are arrogantly, pridefully taken, presumptuously partaking of the blessings of the community, but they're not really in Christ by faith. Why were most of them overthrown? Why were most of Israel not, why was God not pleased with them? The scripture tells us very clearly. Because they remained in their unbelief and in their disobedience. It's not a mystery. Am I saved? Am I not? Look at your life. To the extent that you see the fruit of the spirit, faith, belief, obedience, doesn't mean perfection, but when you see those things showing up, the greater you see that, the greater certainty, the greater assurance you get to enjoy. Though God had lavished upon them grace, 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 most of them remained in their stubborn disbelief and disobedience. That's the story of the Old Testament. That's the story of the Pentateuch, the first five books. I'm going to read Nehemiah 9. It's a very long passage, but I just felt like God leading me to read it. Because if you don't know the whole story, you don't hear the right version of God. And you start thinking the wrong picture of God. How did God do this to them is what you start to think. That's what, that's what the devil whispers. 
oh, what kind of God would do that? Well, let's read the whole story, Nehemiah 9. And I'm going to read you some excerpts. Starting in verse 9 through 14, the prophet reviews all that God did to get them out of Egypt. And then he continues after all the great things God did. God did miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And then verse 15, you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and you brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. He cared for them, provided bread and water and you told them to go and possess the land that you had sworn to give to them. But they... And our fathers acted presumptuously and they stiffened their neck and they did not obey your commands. They refused to obey and they were not mindful of the wonders that you had performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive gracious and merciful and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And you did not forsake them even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. The golden calf. Okay, that, that's what brought us out of Egypt. And, and even when they had committed this great blasphemy, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness the pillar of cloud to lead them in the way. You did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way which they should go. You kept providing, you kept providing, you kept leading, you kept guiding. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouth. You gave them water for the thirst. 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their feet didn't swell. Nevertheless, verse 26, look at verse 26. Because he'd gone on several more verses of just detailing how gracious God was to them. Getting them settled in the promised land. Then verse 26, nevertheless, they were disobedient. And they rebelled against you. And they cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets, prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Finally. Therefore, you gave them to the hand of their enemies. Heed the lesson of the Israelites. Though all of them enjoyed the blessings that come with snuggling up with the community of faith. There are tremendous blessings that come with that. It's by... Being with the people of God, you can enjoy many of the blessings of God. But most of them, not a few, not some, most of them failed to believe and were judged. Paul is saying, beware. If you find yourself immersed in the community of unbelievers, beware. Back to our text, verse 6. Look at our text. He says, now, these things took place as examples for us. This is how your Old Testament serves you. This is examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. I want to have community with those people. Beware that you not desire that. Most of them 
failed to finish the race. He goes on in verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Let's see the language he's doing. He's pulling all the old and all the new and applying it to their day where they wanted to go sit and eat and play at the temple houses. He says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. That was another example of the Old Testament where they took on the pagan culture's practices and God said, whoa, -uh," and a holy fire burned through. We must not, he goes on in verse 9, put Christ to the test as some of them and were destroyed by serpents. These are all Old Testament stories you can go back and read. Verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happen to them, why? As an example for us. They were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Christ has come. We're in the final stages. We need to learn the lesson of Israel. We need to learn by Israel. There's a lot of people participating in the community and participating in the world. And most of them are not going to get the prize. The point being for us is this. Not all who call themselves Christian are Christian. If your life is characterized as desiring communion with the pagans, desiring evil, desiring sexual immorality, putting Christ to the test, then beware. That is not characteristic of God's people. The writer of Jude in the New Testament, Jude 5, makes the same point saying this. He says, now I want to remind you, Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Just being in the church is not what God demands. God demands a heart of faith and trust and hope and reliance solely upon the blood of Jesus Christ. And then the Spirit of God indwells that believer and transforms them and immerses them in a new community of faith that is, hates the old way of life, that is warring against the sinful desires of the flesh and not embracing them. This brings us to our final point, the charge. Look at verse 12. We've seen the problem, the example, and finally Paul gives us straight up the charge. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Do you hear the warning of the pride and a call to humility? You think you are all that. You're good because you got membership in the church. You're going to community group. You're coming here on Sundays, and you're living in the community of the world beware lest anyone thinks he stands unless he finds that he falls. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have one foot in the church community, one foot in the community of the devil. To live this way is to give yourself over to idolatry. You can't kid yourself and call it something else with prettier words. Paul says, no, I'm going to call it like it is. You can't drink of the cup of the blood of Jesus and drink of the cup of the devil. That's your choice. To To live this way is to give yourself over to idolatry and to the one who is behind that idolatry, and that's the devil. I know we don't call it that. I know that sounds radical. That sounds a little too church. That sounds a little too crazy. That's the way it is. 
When you're immersed in the community of unbelievers, you're sharing communion with the devil's community. So what should we do? Verse 13. Flee. Flee. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. If the spirit of God is in you, then you can run. I want to say run like the devil, but that's probably bad. You run from the devil. Run from the devil. But with temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So let me summarize Paul's message. There's a very powerful spiritual communion among true believers. We see it in the Lord's Supper. We see it in the baptism. We see it in this community. We experience it. If you are still longing for some powerful communion with unbelievers, there's a real problem. Something should change. The Spirit of God should drive you away from that community into this community. doesn't mean we don't go befriend them and reach them with the gospel of Christ, but we're not looking for communion with them. If that is where you are, with communion in there on the fringes of the church or even active in the church, but still desirous of the communion with the world and the things of the world and the ungodly behavior that accompanies that and you find joy in that, there's a problem. Paul said, I do not want you to be participants with demons. Cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Writer of Hebrews looked back and says, the reason they didn't make it to the end, the reason they didn't get the prize in Hebrews 4, the good news came to them, but it was not heard, it did not benefit them because they were not united by faith in those who listened. You can know it all up here, but if you're not trusting in Christ alone, it does you no good. In fact, it probably does you deceptive harm. Father God, I pray that there will be none in here today that are deceived. Let this let these words of Paul be a blessing to us as they cause us to run from the community that is shared in the world of sinners and the, the lifestyle of the devil. Let us find great joy in the communion of the saints at the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us find joy in the holiness of God. Oh, Lord, would you convict us all over this room, everyone in here, Lord, would you convict us of, God, of godless desires, godless behavior, and, and reignite, re, reignite within our hearts a passion for Jesus Christ and for his people. Lord, make us a holy place, a holy people. 
that is a bright picture of your glory. Lay upon our hearts those who you would have us to befriend and love and share the gospel with and, and share the good news that though our sins are many, your mercy is more. Use us for your kingdom purposes. Lead us all to trust in Christ anew this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.